Welcome to The Kitchen Table, a conversation about faith, music, and culture. Join Shine.fm's ministry director, Brian McIntyre-Utter, and his 18-year-old son, Jake, around the table for this week's chat. Hello! Welcome to episode 26 of The Kitchen Table. This is a father-son show talking about faith, music, and culture. Welcome back. I'm Brian. And I'm Jake. And we do this every week, and we love it. We love having these faith conversations where we just get together and hang out and talk about life issues following Christ and what that means. And uh, we love music, so we share a little uh, bit of music uh, in yeah, a we segment. Do. We call Music Matters. And then uh, towards the end, we do a thing called Culture Shock, which is really a potpourri of things we yeah. talk about. It's kind of random every week. It is. It's purposeful nonetheless. Yeah. This week, our uh, question, and we do have a guest. We'll get to our guest here shortly. We have a faith question, and I'm not even sure how to word this faith question because it can completely change the answer to the question depending on how this whole thing unfolds. So it's sort of up in the air. But to put a question on paper, this is what I put down. As followers of Christ, how do we deal with divorce? All right. I wanted to talk about this. Both my parents have been married 50-some years. I didn't live in a divorced home. My wife and I have been married 27 years. I, like, I, I didn't grow years. up in a divorced home. I'm not an authority on this, and so I, I needed to have someone who has some kind of understanding of what it means to grow up in a home where you don't have mother and father. We're very pleased to have in the studio with us today the afternoon show co-host of Shine.fm, Don Burns, our program director. Welcome. It's good to be here. Thank you for being here. Whoa. Now, you and Valerie have been married how many years now? Uh, almost 31. 31 years in April. 31 years. Right. And so you grew up in a home where you did not have the father figure for the first eight years of your life. Is correct. that correct? Yeah. Talk, talk about growing up in a home without the father figure in the early years. Okay. So we'll start at the beginning. Very good place to Please start. Please do. Um, my uh, biological father was in jail when I was born. He he had um, been accused of something two months before I was born and was still in jail when I was born and until two months afterwards. And then once he got out of jail, he left. I never saw him. I didn't meet him until I was 47 years old, Yeah, just a few years ago, uh, when I also found out I had sisters. So for the first eight and a half years of my life, my mom was a single mom. I spent most of my time at the babysitters. Matter of fact, Monday through Friday, I even spent the night over there because mom had a job that caused her to work late into the evening every night. And so I just stayed with them. And then on weekends, I went home with mom. And, and so that was the first eight years of my life, pretty much. And then my mom married a Baptist preacher. He had also been through a divorce. His wife and daughter had left him and mm. moved hundreds, uh, over a thousand miles away. Yeah. So they had both been divorced. And so when I was eight and a half, they got married and, and he legally adopted me a little bit after that. And so I became a Burns. What was it like growing up with other kids in the neighborhood, you know, when you did not have a father in the picture? was How was it different? I was the only one that I knew of in, in our circle of friends in Alameda, California. I was the only one, and even including church, that did not have a dad at home. Mm -hmm. All of my friends had dads to play with. And I was very aware of that because they would go outside and play catch with their dad. They would go outside and play basketball with their dad, or they would go mm -hmm. riding bikes with their dad. I never had that opportunity for the first part of my life. And and I was very aware of that. And I asked my mom about that several times to the point where she said it embarrassed her. But I was aware of that. And there were there were people in our church that would invite me, you know, like if it was a father-son out, they would invite me every once in a while. But it wasn't all the time. But I was very aware that that my home – 
was different. Thanks for listening to The Kitchen Table. We're a father-son podcast talking about faith, music, and culture. You see, I'm trying to think back to my childhood and think about my circle of friends. And it wasn't, I think, as common then for single parents and kids than it is today. Right. I can think of two friends that had moms, and that was it in the picture. I had another friend who was living with an aunt. But beyond that, it was not normal as it is today. Sort of like accepted. I don't know. Yeah. Um, more prevalent my circle of friends i had a few friends well it's hard for me to think of back when i was a kid because i grew up in so many different places when we lived in missouri i think i had like three friends that were that had remarried parents and so they were i think they call it like a blended family because he had kids too and it was just kind of more socially acceptable i feel like because it's so much more common now they talk about the statistics of Uh, those that are in the church following Christ and the percentage of divorces that happen versus those outside the church. For many years, they said that, oh, it doesn't matter. The numbers are pretty much the same. Well, that's actually not the case. They show that there is less divorce in those that are churchgoers, have a relationship with Christ, but it still exists. I, I have friends this year who have gone through divorce. I have another friend that's going through divorce right now. And after literally decades of marriage, and it just makes no sense to me. It really doesn't. Again, the faith question of this podcast, I have no idea if that was an accurate faith question or not, because I want to talk about divorce. And if you've experienced divorce, there's hope. You know, it's not like, oh, yeah, that's it. You're done with Christ. No, not at all. It happens. There are circumstances where it happens. What does the church say? You can read tons of articles, and I have tons of articles spread out in in front of me here. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull wisdom from this or not. Marriage is hard. Marriage takes work. Let's dive (laughs) dive right into this. God declares in uh, Malachi 2.16 that he hates divorce. Why do you think God hates divorce? Because I think marriage is something that God ordained. It was part of his plan. And as he he puts out a plan, any time that we let our selfish ambitions change that plan, it's obviously not part of what God wants. So God's going to hate that. It's like they say at the marriage ceremony, what God has joined together, let no man tear apart. Right. Why would you tear apart if it's something that displeases God? Well, they talk about it being a covenant, and that's the way God set it up. God takes the wedding covenant very seriously, even though many times in our culture we don't. There is a specific purpose for marriage. Divorce tears at the very heart of God's redemptive plan for the world. The conversation in Matthew 19 between Jesus and the Pharisees, when the Pharisees ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And Jesus answers by pointing them to God's purpose for marriage. This is what he said. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Thanks for listening to The Kitchen Table. We're a father-son podcast talking about faith, music, and culture. So there's no longer two, there's one. And it's interesting, they used to do these different things in wedding ceremonies where there would be like the candles Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you'd have two candles lit representing the bride and the groom and they would light the unity candle. And then they would blow out the other candles. That's changed recently. A lot of times they'll leave the other candles lit to still represent our unique identity of each other, but the unity candles lit. And and they come up all these reasons. The one I've seen that I really like is there are two different vials of colored sand Mm -hmm. and they mix them together. Right. When you mix those colors of sand together, guess what? There is no possible way you can separate those into the original colors that they were. And that really signifies what God wants for marriage. There's these different purposes that are a part of it. 
purpose number one, to mirror his image. God created the earth. He created the animals that are in it. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him. It is a mirror of the image that God created. Your marriage should exalt God and glorify him to a world that desperately needs to see who he is because we're created in that image of God. Also to complete each other. It's not just the uh, Jerry Maguire line, Mm -hmm. you complete me, you know, that makes all (laughs) the ladies swoon, you know. Uh, especially with Tom Cruise saying it, but it's really that. I mean, how many times do you hear, do you think that Valerie compliments your weaknesses, her strengths compliment your weaknesses? Do you think that's the case? Absolutely. I tend to be the more emotional one. She tends to be the one that's a, a little bit more, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here, logical, realistic, or what she is, but very calming influence on me. Right. So absolutely. I think the same way, you know, my weaknesses, my wife compliments them with her strengths. I think God puts people together like that. Remember this, man created divorce. God never ordained and created the institution of divorce, man did. It's generally accepted interpretation among the majority of the evangelical community that there are certain passages in the Bible where the, there are a couple of circumstances in which God releases a couple from a lifelong covenant of marriage. In the case of consistent, unrepentant immorality, and when an unbelieving spouse deserts a believer. Those are the two cases from Scripture that they say that God releases the couple from that lifelong covenant of marriage. Of course, within Christendom, within following Christ, divorce is discouraged by pastors, by Christian leaders, even in these situations that were mentioned. My parents have been married 52, 53 years. There was a point, there was a two-week separation when I was a kid Hmm. where my dad left. I don't know if my mom asked him to leave. I don't remember. I was young. We were all young, me and my brothers. It was a miserable time. And it was basically things have got to change. And my dad chose the family. I thank God for that. My, my life could be completely different today because of that. Evangelical Christians hold that the only exception for divorce is death. In Matthew 19, 8, Jesus says, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been that way. Paul states in 1 Corinthians 7, 24, Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Clearly, this is very difficult, a thorny issue that a lot of people are dealing with, trying to figure this out. Is it a sin to get divorced? Is it the sin to remarry once you've been divorced? There are all these kinds of things. Thanks for listening to The Kitchen Table. We're a father-son podcast talking about faith, music, and culture. So if you're considering divorce, think about these things. Our culture emphasizes meeting the individual needs no matter the cost. And I think that has a lot to do with divorce. I think divorce is very selfish, especially when kids are involved. You're not thinking about it. Now, there are going to be people out here listening, and they're going to disagree with me. We'll probably get some negative stuff back on this one, but it is a covenant, and marriage takes work, and there are times that marriage is difficult. Now, I'm not saying if you have a spouse that repeated immorality that's happening, if it's not going to stop, then something has to change. I agree with you. Let me add, coming from my background, yeah. that it's not an unforgivable sin. No, not at all. There's no unforgivable sin. Well, I know, but as I grew up in the church— because my dad was a Baptist pastor and had been through a divorce as a pastor. Right. We were treated at times like he couldn't pastor church. He could Mm. no longer preach. He could no longer lead because he had been through that. 
it wasn't his choice to go through that. Right. She left. She no longer wanted to be in the ministry. She didn't want to be a pastor's wife. She didn't want her daughter, you know, being raised that way. She left. But he was paying for that decision that was made that that he didn't make. And I and I think my mom would say that there were times where she felt judged a little bit because mm. of the divorce that she had been through as well. And the way I was raised, and, and this applies to so many of my friends, of my mm-hmm. family members, to those around me, God never, ever called me to judge anyone right. for anything. God called me to love everyone through everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's just the way I was raised. It's like, son, we all make mistakes. Right. We all sin. But we all need God's love, and we need to love each other. So that's my thought on it. So as followers of Christ, how do we deal with a divorce. There is little more painful than being rejected by a spouse. We need to remember these things. First, remember that your marriage is not over until the papers are signed and a lot can change between them moving out and divorce papers being signed. A great example this year, famous uh, Bible teacher, women speaker is uh, Lisa, Lisa Turkhurst Mm -hmm. announced that her and her husband were separating, I think in May somewhere around there earlier this year, and everyone's just kind of devastated. Right. This is one who's been talking about through her ministry, about her marriage, and then all of a sudden, this is happening. Again, God can restore. You saw a couple weeks ago, they got remarried. I don't right. know if the divorce was final and they remarried again or if they just renewed their vows, but they've worked this out. At the end of our faith question, I'm going to give you a resource. If you're dealing with something like this and you want to be restored in your marriage. Uh, we have a great partnership with an organization that does amazing work, and I'll be sharing that with you a little bit later. So remember, it's not over until the papers are signed. This is a time, if you're separated, to take an inventory of your life and what is important. Hopefully you've asked your spouse to give the reasons why they're leaving. Listen carefully to the complaints. Guard against becoming defensive or blaming. And this doesn't mean you have to accept everything but have an attitude of openness and learning that will help you greatly. Now, once you've learned your part and the issues have been addressed, set yourself on a course of correction. And again, this resource I'll be sharing will help you do these kinds of things. Make every meeting with that spouse positive. Avoid negativity. Get help. That's the main thing. What if the spouse refuses to get help? I have friends they are currently in this situation right now after 30-some years. Kids are grown first grandkids here, refuses to get help, refuses to seek counseling. There's really nothing you can do at that point. Except pray. Pray. That's right. God can restore. Gather supportive friends who will join you in earnest prayer for your marriage. I have someone uh, that has become a good friend to to me recently, um, and you actually know her. Mm -hmm. She's recently gone through a a divorce to someone that was involved in the church and um, is still, still fresh still devastating to her. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing I want to add, and, and I've told her this too as well. I said, listen, if you need something tangible, because we've asked, said, what can we do for you? Just pray for me. Okay, that's a given. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for your kids. Love right. her oh, kids. Yeah. All right? But I, I said, if there's something tangible that Valerie and I can do together, and that's a key, that Valerie and I do this together. Right. But if there's something we can do, whether it's running by an overpriced coffee shop and getting you some sort of latte, We'll do it. If it's running through the pizza place and getting your favorite sausage and mushroom pizza, we'll do it. Just know that we're there for you. And if you're a friend of someone that's going through that, 
be willing to have that heart for them. Mm-hmm. Some tangible ways. Pray for them daily, but tangible ways that you can show your love and appreciation and just your support of them. And the other thing, if you're going through that, can I recommend you let people do that for you? Absolutely. It will make you feel better. It will help your kids see that people of the church still love them because they go through that some. And it helps the person that's actually doing the tangible gift for you. Because, you know, as it says in the Bible, it is more blessed to give than receive. You're going to be blessed because you're receiving, but they're going to be blessed too. They just want to show you that they love you. And I think those are, there's a couple of easy things, whichever side you're on, that you can do to show your love and support. Thanks for listening to The Kitchen Table. We're a father-son podcast talking about faith, music, and culture. One of the areas I wanted to touch during this this conversation over the kitchen table is to talk about the effects that it has on children. You know, you've kind of shared a little bit of your story, and the friend that you're talking about is a friend of mine as well, and getting ready to, to celebrate Christmas for the first time in a divorced home, sharing custody, what that means. It looks completely different. This is the first Christmas in their lives where it is not the normal Christmas, and her kids are struggling. Mm-hmm. That's a big issue. I was looking for resources, and I thought it was rather interesting that I found more helpful resources on Sesame Street's website than a lot of Christian family organization websites. Wow. And hmm. I'm like, wow, the, exactly. I'm like, that. that's telling. That's telling. We, we need to, as the church, present those kinds of yeah. resources for everyone, not yeah. just followers of Christ, but we need to be that, that outlet of hope and help during those kinds of situations. This, what I have here, comes from the Sesame Street website. Children dealing with divorce. These are questions that kids will ask. Will everything be different now? There is now drastic shifts that take place when divorce or separation happens. It might feel like everything will change, but you need to remind your kids of the simple everyday routines and activities that will stay the same that provides a sense of security for them. Say this, I know a lot of things have been changing, but lots of our routines will stay the same. You will always get dressed after you wake up in the morning. Then you'll eat your breakfast. Then you'll brush your teeth and do your special helping job. So try to keep as much of the normalcy as possible. Emphasize that. Yes, there's going to be shifts. It's going to change. Another question, who's going to take care of me? With the changes in the routines, changes in the living arrangements, split custody now, they're worried that everyone will be too busy to pay attention to and to take care of them. So let them know the plan for the new routine. Reassure them that no matter where they are, someone will always be there to help them. You could say this, mommy and daddy might not live together anymore, but we will always be your mommy and your daddy, no matter what, that will never change. And we will both always take care of you. Again, it's just reassuring them. Right. Mm -hmm. They have no idea what this is going to look like and they're scared out of their minds. Another question they could ask, what should I tell my friends and other kids at school about the divorce? See, children are eager to share about their home life with their friends, and so you have to explain to them the family situation because they'll want to explain that to their friends and they don't know how. So you can start like this. I bet your friends would love to know about your family. You can let them know my parents are divorced. That means they aren't married anymore, but I still have a mom and I still have a dad and they care about me. So you adapt the words to fit your situation. You might say, I have two houses. Sometimes I stay with my mom at her house. Sometimes I stay with my dad at his house. Describe some of the fun things that he does in each house. Give kids time to come up with their own answers many times in that situation. and Kind of just push them in the direction, so to speak. So Christmas, just a couple days away as we're launching this podcast, and it's going to be different for many. Again, I don't know what the faith question was today. I don't know if we answered a faith question today. 
Marriage is a covenant. God wants us to keep that marriage covenant. He designed it that way. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's out of your control. If you're dealing with issues and you want help and there's on both sides a willingness to seek help, we work with an organization called The Ravines. It's a marriage retreat center specifically for marriages in crisis. And if you want details about that, you can contact us here at shine.fm. We will send you to The Ravines. Their website is theravines.org. So you can go straight to their website. It's amazing to hear the stories of marriages that have been restored through what they do through their center. So that's one of the resources I wanted to end the faith question with today. I think with what Don said, um, just being there and being able to help, but while also praying for them is really important. And especially with the kids too. Like when I was in middle school, I had a friend go through a divorce. I really emphasized that I would be there for him. You could see on his face that there was that sense of security because he knew that something was still the same, even though his life was changing a lot. Thanks for listening to The Kitchen Table, a father-son show talking about faith, music, and culture. Christmas growing up was was different for me. Yeah, I usually spent, at least for the first eight years, spent Christmas with the babysitters. Mm. Um, They're the ones that provided a lot for me growing up. I do remember that my mom and stepdad, I just call him my dad, just so you know, whenever I say my dad, I mean my stepdad. My mom and dad got married December 16th, Hmm. nine days before Christmas when I was eight years old. I do not have a clue what I got for Christmas that year Hmm. because to everyone, I got a dad. Yeah. Growing up with him was, was different. We were complete opposites. And I share this on, on, um, on last Sunday morning on the, on the show, because it was my good news story that I like to share. Yeah. We clashed. We were exact opposites. I loved sports. He doesn't, he didn't like a single sport in his life ever. The only sport he liked to do was jog. That's pretty much the only sport I don't like to do. So we, <laughs> we clashed. He loved peace and quiet and loved to read. I will, I love radio and television and loud noises. So it was a complete clash. He was very strict with me um, while I was a teenager. And so honestly, we didn't get along till I moved out. Has been sharing with me, is helping me every day of my life. And it got to the point where I'd been out of home maybe six weeks and I called him. First in my life I'd ever done that, just to talk. And I noticed after that conversation and, and over the next few months that there was now a level of respect on both of our parts. Okay. And, and it was to the point I'd always told him I loved him and he'd always told me I loved, he loved me and we were always there for each other, but there was still that, that personality clash we had, but it wasn't until after I was gone that I realized this guy was so important in my life. And I got to tell you, Jack Burns became my best friend over the course between the ages of 18 and 20 to the point where I felt like I could talk to him about everything and not be judged. And to the point where he was the best man in my wedding. Hmm. And then when he got later on in his life, when he was suffering from Alzheimer's and the doctor would suggest that he quit driving, mom would suggest that he quit driving, but we were working in the yard together one time. And he said, what do you think? And I said, dad, all I know is if you ever hurt somebody because a mistake you made driving, it would devastate you. And my dad walked into the kitchen table dropped his keys on the counter and said, I'm done. It got to the point of that mutual respect. So if you're going through this, if you've had that divorce, you've had that remarriage, and now you're talking about stepsisters, stepbrothers, stepdads, stepmoms, all this, know that that word step can be removed. If God's ordaining it, and I honestly believe 
that God ordained Jack Burns to come into my mom's life for her and come into my life for me. Mm-hmm. If God's doing that, that step doesn't matter. And it can be a wonderful, truly wonderful thing. Wonderful. That's a great way to close that out. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, so uh, now we move into a segment that we call Music Matters. So on Music Matters, uh, it's great to have Don here because he's the music guru here at Shine.fm. I pick a song, Jake picks a song, it's a newer Mm. song, and we share those, why we like it, and then uh, I go back in time and I pick an oldie but a goldie. Okay. My uh, new song for this week uh, is by worship leader Lincoln Brewster. I love him. Typically his songs are, are, you know, just really upbeat, contemporary mm-hmm. worship type stuff. Uh, and this one's going to be coming out very soon. Uh, but this one's unique. This one's a, a little more subdued for him because, you know, he's a guitarist. He's an incredible guitarist. But this one is called While I Wait. And it says this, we are all subject to God's timing, to waiting for God to reveal his love and care and plan to us. And Lincoln had this to say, there are many expressions of worship and praise, and it's not always sunshine and happiness. Sometimes worship is about praise in the midst of pain, faith in the midst of devastating fire. So here is While I Wait, a little snippet from Lincoln Brewster. Lincoln Brewster, I've been a fan since I was a kid. You just, you kind of put that, but that is different. That's not normal Lincoln. So the new song that I have, it's a new song for me personally, but it's not a new song for the like the world. It's been out for a while, um, but it's Chris Tomlin featuring Audrey Asad. Did I say that right? Nope. Asad. 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 Sorry. Um, and it's called Winter Snow. It's a very kind of, I don't know how to describe it. It's very jazzy. But it's very mellow, too. It's just talking about how God's love is kind of like a winter snow, in it, and it's very peaceful when it comes over your life. And it's just very, it's a great song. So here's a little bit of Winter Snow by Chris Tomlin and Audrey Assad. All right, so that's our one Christmas song we'll get in this season. You notice I haven't picked Christmas songs. Yeah, because Christmas songs are amazing, <laughs> especially if you find a good one. There, I've done two great ones. There are a lot of good Christmas songs, but I'm, you know, I, I, I'm not a Christmas music fan. <laughs> I know, but all of my Christmas songs aren't the basic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Oh Holy Night. Oh, um, what else is on this list? Joy to the World. <laughs> it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Okay. We'll take it. All right, so we've done the new stuff. Now we're going to go back into the oldie but goldie. There you go. You got it right. And we're going to go back to uh, 1991 is the year. Wow. That's the year you were married. That's the year I was married. And this is the number one song from 1991. And it's a guy named Wayne Watson. Okay. Texas boy. Yeah, right? lives, lives in Houston, Texas. Yeah. And this is a song called Home Free. Do you remember this song? Oh, wow. I sure do. This had a lot to do with uh, healing, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm correct. And to the point where we're going we're gonna to do a lot of suffering on this earth. But the ultimate healing is when, when we walk through heaven's gates and we're home free. That wraps up Music Matters for this week. 
Time now to start up Culture Shock. So Culture Shock this week, even though I didn't pick a Christmas song, yeah, I am going to talk about Christmas. I found a great blog post about things that I want my kids to know about Christmas. So I thought I'd share some of these and get your guys' thoughts on them. The most important thing, sort of like a house rule, so to speak. In our house, Christmas is about Jesus. Mm, That's amen. first, the rest follows. The stuff, all the things we buy, the gifts, the, the trees, the lights that we cover our house with, mm -hmm. that stuff all goes away. Relationships do not. Put in your priority on relationships. Okay. Always smile and at least thank the bell ringer at the store. We actually did some bell ringing last week. Staff here at Shine.fm. Don't look away. Gather your change ahead of time and don't ignore them. There you go. Take time to slow down and appreciate the little things. Mm. Because your routine changes at Christmas. Usually mm. we're off work. We got time. We can spend it with family. Mm -hmm. We talked about this last week, and I think I'll just restate it here. Put the phone down. Yeah. Be with your family and friends. We're going to look back on this generation and realize what were we doing? I just saw this the other day. I was watching a football game on television. Guy paid a lot of money for the front row sideline seats. And he's just chilling on his and phone. And he's on his phone. Right. Drives me crazy. You know, there's a game going on. You paid for it. Uh, always say thank you to those working at the store. We have yeah. in the past done this, is, this, this thing. This was my favorite Christmas. So mom, or she made cookies. We all made them together, but mom made them because she's mom and she's the only one that knows how to. Before we opened our gifts on Christmas, she made us drive to the police station, the hospital, gas stations, hotels, nursing homes, hotels, and give them cookies. To the workers. To the workers. They, they can't get off work on Christmas exactly. Day. And so I remembered that. And I remembered that I was so ticked off. And then... <laughs> because and, you were a selfish yeah, kid. because <laughs> I was. And I just remembered as soon as we got back, I was so happy that we did it. And I was like, oh, we have gifts now. I don't really care for these. And right. so it, it's my most memorable Christmas that I had. I, I think that's a great idea. It is a great idea. We should try to do that again. We sort of said this earlier, but family matters. Take time to learn about family, to invest in family, to love. Better to be less busy than crazy busy. The number of presents received does not matter. We've done something new this year in our house. Uh, yeah. Explain I don't, that, Jake. I do not like what they did. So <laughs> mom and dad put the gifts, their gifts out a week before Christmas. And so they're just sitting there. I think they do it just to taunt us because they know it's there. Pretty much, yeah. And so we, we, me and Michael, we always look at the gifts and we try to see the size and how many we have and just... You shake try, it, you try feel and the guess weight. what it is. But no, this year they put numbers on the gifts. They did like one, two, three, and mom we has have a master checklist. They have a master <laughs> checklist of who gets what gift. So we don't even know which one's ours. And so we're just kind of like, well, Michael, they beat us. <laughs> so yeah, that's the new thing this year, and we do not like it. Speaking of new things, something else I want my kids to know. Traditions matter. So maybe we just created a new tradition. Establish them. Always allow room for new traditions. Mm. Numbers on presents. Mm. Sometimes the Christmas tree falls over. Fact. Just pick it up and try again. <laughs> That's a good life statement right there. Like Sometimes that. we fall over. Just get up and try again. Be grateful. Be thankful. Love your family. And remember why you celebrate Christmas. Mm. I'll put the full list of 25 things I want my kids to know about Christmas 
on the uh, kitchen table group on the shine.fm Facebook page. So you can get that as well. If you're not a part of the group, please join the group. We continue the discussion there. I had one more thing I wanted to add that a pastor shared with us a long time ago. And I don't even remember, I have an idea which pastor it was, but I'm not positive. So I, I can't share his name. But one of the things he told us, he said, I do, I honestly believe that Easter is the most important Christian holiday there is. Mm -hmm. But at Christmas time, I want you to remember that if he wouldn't have come to be born in a manger and we didn't celebrate Christmas, there wouldn't be an Easter. Right. So let's celebrate our Savior's birth wholeheartedly, just like we do when he died for us. So Merry Christmas. That wraps up Culture Shock. Well, thank you so much for uh, Don for checking in with us this week. Appreciate your input and insight into this. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas to you and Valerie. Hey, we just want to uh, wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Uh, thanks again for checking in with us on The Kitchen Table. Again, uh, join us on The Kitchen Table group on Shine.fm's Facebook page. Mm -hmm. We'd love to join with you there. If you have a faith question, you can please uh, send it to us through the Facebook group. We'd love to talk about that in a future episode. Thank you. Have a wonderful Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to The Kitchen Table on the Shine.fm podcast network from Olivet Nazarene University. Be sure to subscribe for more content delivered each week on faith, music, and culture.